In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's Gospel reading comes to us from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18. And today we hear the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which we, throughout the entire liturgical year, refer back to this parable over and over again, and we should. Because this parable puts right in front of us the very context of our salvation in and because of the mercy and justification ministry that we'll look at today of our Lord Jesus Christ over our lives. But one of the things we need to understand about the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 18 is that the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector falls in between a number of continuous teachings that our Lord is doing. And every one of those teachings that we find in the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 18 is revealing two things to us. It's revealing to us the very nature of our God. And secondly, it's revealing to us how we should approach the God of this nature for our healing, the healing of our souls, and for our salvation. For example, the first part of the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. Persistent woman, I should say. And then he goes to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And then just after that, he uses children to show us by the way they are how we should come to him. All of these teachings are of those two uh, aspects of God wanting us to see something very clearly about himself and about ourselves. So let's begin at the beginning of the chapter with the parable of the persistent widow. St. Luke, Luke states in the first verse that Jesus told this particular parable that we should pray and never lose heart. That's the first verse of the chapter. That we should pray and never lose heart. That is, come to God and keep coming to God over and over again until he acts on our behalf. And so he tells this. He says a woman was being oppressed by her adversary and she goes to an unrighteous judge asking him for, to do something about her adversary that keeps oppressing her. And at first the unrighteous judge does nothing. So she comes back to him. He does nothing again. So she comes back to him again and again and again. And finally the un unrighteous judge relents and he puts down her adversary, taking away that oppression in her life. And our Lord Jesus Christ says about this parable, he says, And shall not God, the righteous judge, shall not God avenge his own who cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What is it that Jesus is showing us about the nature of God? This is a God who invites every one of us to come before him again and again, as if banging on the doors to the temple, as if falling down before the throne, pleading with him over and over and over again. He invites this action of us until he acts on our behalf. What does it tell us about us? We should take up the invitation. We should be a people that relentlessly 
go before the throne of God because that pathway has been opened by our Lord Jesus Christ. That we should relentlessly go before the throne of God, pleading with Him for grace and mercy and the throwing down of our adversary, whether that adversary is Satan himself or whether we ourselves are our own adversary in our brokenness that keeps us oppressed. But that we keep going to Him until He acts on our behalf. And when I thought about that parable, there's another testimony in the Gospels that came to my mind of how we should be going before the Lord. And it's that story of the woman who had the issue of bleeding. Remember, the woman had a constant issue of bleeding because of her cycle. It never stopped. For years and years and years, she was bleeding and she was weak from it. And what we see when we see this story is we see an incredible tenacity and a desperation in this woman who longed to be made whole. That even so much that in her weakness, in the weakness of her body, and in the desperation of her soul and her mind and her body from all of that suffering, what does she do? In that weak state, she presses through a mob scene just to get to Jesus. There were a multitude surrounding him. She pressed through in that weak state, knowing that only if I could just touch the hem of his garment, he'll make me whole again. And she does so. She pushes through and she touches the hem of the garment. And what was the result? We're told that divine power came from the person of Jesus Christ through his clothing and healed her of her bleeding, releasing her of her suffering. This is the compassion and mercy of God, and this is the desperation of a person that wants to experience it in their lives. And that's what the picture our Lord is painting for us today. And then in this parable, the parable of the widow that we spoke of, Jesus asked the question that when the Son of Man comes in His second coming, will He find faith on the earth? What faith? The faith that He's describing in the parable. The faith that comes from knowing the nature of God. Because when we know the nature of God, we will be tenacious going before Him again and again to receive healing, health, wholeness, redemption into our lives. That's the faith of the church. That's the faith of the Christian granted to us by the revelation of Christ in our lives. This is how Christ wants us to come to Him. And now Jesus continuing this theme. He tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, another parable telling us how to go before God and how not to. Jesus said, two men go up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee stands up in front of all the people to be noticed and heard. And he says, I thank God that I am not like all these other men, extortioners, adulterers, and particularly this tax collector. I fast. I give tithes to the poor. You see, the Pharisee's trust was entirely in himself and what he was stating that he had done. But the tax collector was exactly the opposite, who had no trust in himself whatsoever. A man that absolutely understood the need for mercy. And so the tax collector, knowing his dependency on the mercy of God, what does it tell us? That he fell down, standing afar off away from the people so not to be noticed. And he fell on his face, not even looking into heaven. And he beat his breast like we do all the time in liturgy. 
to take the same posture as tax collector. He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I tell you, we see in that parable the very revelation and the blessedness expressed of a life of true repentance. The tax collector, he saw himself clearly both for who he was, but also who he was not. And as he saw himself clearly, he made himself and didn't have to make himself. He realized the reality that I can do nothing. I come and even I know when I ask for mercy, I am a man who could never earn what I'm asking for. And he goes before God and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. He went home justified because of it. St. Augustine revealed to us the great difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector, revealing to us why the tax collector is the one who found healing and restoration to his soul in this event. St. Augustine taught this. How useful and necessary a medicine is repentance. People who remember that they are only human will readily understand this. It is written, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Pharisee was not rejoicing so much in his own clean bill of health as in comparing it with the diseases of others. We never do this. We never do this, right? He wasn't rejoicing in his own clean bill of health as much as pointing out the disease of others. He came to the doctor, St. Augustine said, but it would have been more worthwhile to inform the doctor of the things that were wrong with himself instead of keeping his wounds secret and having the nerve to crow over the scars of others. It is not surprising, he says, that the tax collector went away cured, since he had not been ashamed of showing where he felt pain. That last statement is so telling to us. I want you to hear that again. The tax collector was not ashamed of his own pain, of his own suffering, he was not ashamed of what he lacked. He <clears throat> and he came to the only one who could ease the suffering, that could heal him, his internal wounds and external, and could fill what he lacked. My goodness, how we play games with Christ our God. We run and hide from him which is the biggest joke we could ever put before the Lord. We run and hide from someone we can never run and hide from. We conceal all of our brokenness from him, thinking in our minds somehow he can't possibly see this, when he intricately knows every absolute bit of our brokenness that has happened to us because of the fall, our choices, and things that have happened to us in this life, he knows it intricately. And we think that we can hide from him, when what is he saying? Don't hide. You run to me with this stuff. Openly, in a, with great abandon, you come to me. You come to me and you tell me things of yourself that I already know so that we can meet together there. You can offer it to me. And I can touch and I can heal and I can mend and I can restore. St. Cyril of Alexandria said it this way. He says, it says that the tax collector stood afar off, not even venturing to raise up his eyes 
You see him abstaining from all boldness of speech. He seems devoid of the right to speak at speak and beaten down by the scorn of his conscience. He beat his breast. He confesses his sins. He shows his illness to the physician. And he prays that he will have mercy. And what's the result? Let us hear what the judge says. He says, this man went down justified from that place. What are we seeing? And what is God showing us about himself? Or rather, first, what's he showing us about us? That we are to be that authentic people that throw away anything that would keep us from attempting to hide the hideousness of our fallenness from God who sees it clearly. That we would come to him again, just like the first parable, again and again until he acts on our behalf. And what is it telling us about God? It's telling us that we have a God who is the God of justification. His very ministry is to send us away justified. But I think we need to lock in for just a moment on what that word means to be justified. Because that word is one of the most precious and beautiful words that God could declare over our humanity and our brokenness. Because in the Greek in which this is written, it gives us for the word justified, there's a threefold meaning that's working all at the same time. Every, all three of these, listen to them. The first is this. One aspect of being justified is that the judge gives us a complete and absolute acquittal. A complete and absolute acquittal. I want you to lock into what that really means. That means that you go before the desk of the judge. You go before him infinitely guilty. And you walk away proclaimed somehow innocent. Now stop. That is foolishness. That is absolute foolishness to our minds. And it is foolishness to this world. That we come absolutely guilty. But having done nothing for ourselves but come. We walk away pronounced innocent. And I tell you that's the foolishness of Christ. That's the foolishness of salvation. That's what he wants us to see about himself and what he will do for us. The second aspect of being justified by God is this. That our God vindicates us. That means that he throws down our accuser. He throws down our adversary. Who is our accuser? Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren who keeps wanting to say, look what you did. Look what you did. Look at this. How can you go before God? Because he wants your conscience underneath the rug. That load, that burden. And our Lord Jesus Christ casts away the accuser when he justifies us. He must depart from our ear. That's what our Lord does for us. Thirdly, what it means to be justified is this. And even more than the first two, this is the one that is so far beyond my total comprehension, even though I've experienced it in my own life, and so have you. Is that when we walk away from the judge, having been acquitted, that he declares us righteous again. And you say in your minds, yeah, but I know me. Yeah, but he does too. And we go before him in our unrighteousness. And by his healing salve. By the work of the Holy Spirit and by His touch, we walk away made right again by the hand of Christ. You know what that means? That means that we show up to Him in excruciatingly filthy rags. And we walk away with the finest and choicest of clothing having been put on us. No different than the story of the prodigal son when he returned smelling of the pigs that he fed. 
with his clothes tattered and torn with nothing left to show from himself and half dead. And what does the father do? He runs out and says, this won't do. And he says, put sandals on his feet. Put a robe, the finest robe around him. Put the ring of his true identity on his finger. He was justified in that moment. Do you see that? And that's the work of our Lord's justification in our lives. My friends, I tell you, what we're, what we're speaking of is the life of true repentance, which is the only path of salvation for us. And finally, after that parable, parents were bringing children, their children, to our Lord. And the disciples were actually trying to keep them away a bit to be all nice and orderly. And Jesus looks at them and he says these words in verse 16. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a, as a little child will by no means enter it. St. Cyril of Alexandria says something fascinating. He says, what makes children so worthy of our imitation? He says it's their lack of both legalism and their lack of over-dependence on their intellect. That's why we imitate children. You know what he's saying? He's saying that children don't think themselves out of a saving experience of Christ. They don't think themselves out of salvation. Think too much to go to Christ and to experience Him. Think about it, my friends. When as children we were sick, did we not? We didn't think about it. We went immediately to our parents. We told them everything that we were experiencing because we know that they could do something to salve our suffering and to help us. When we were children and we would ride our bikes, do children still ride bikes? I'm curious. I have to ask that. But when we were children and we rode our bikes and we fell off of our bikes and we scraped our knees, we ran or maybe hobbled. But we went directly to our parents without thinking about it. Because we were in pain. Because we were suffering. And we trusted that our parents had the wisdom and everything needed to put something on our knee and make it feel better. Why? So that now being healed, they could send us out and go play again. Why don't we see our Heavenly Father the same way with our brokenness? With our fallenness? This is what our Lord Jesus Christ is wanting to get into us today. This is the God who calls us to keep banging at His door. With, a, with our lack, with our brokenness and our need for healing. Until He acts on our behalf and throws our adversary down. We are to come as children. This is the life of repentance in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.